Don't you just love it when you can confidently say that someone has your back? Hi, Dave Lee here, and that's the feeling I have with UCARE. Anytime I call them up with a Medicare question, I know without a doubt that a real person will answer, and they will work through my issues no matter how long it takes, and they won't hang up until I completely understand what's going on. Their people and customer service are second to none, and it's why UCARE has people-powered health plans. Don't hesitate to reach out to UCARE for help. Learn more at UCARE.org slash Medicare. This paid endorsement brought to you by UCARE. Today on my first concert, was it were, were the first ones nerve wracking at all? Did they bother you at all? Were they making you nervous? oh a hundred percent yes? I remember. <laughs> I like if you'll forgive me to like you know parade around an off told anecdote, but I remember being so nervous and you know writing is which is what had been my first interest is such a a, a cerebral solitary act, and you don't have to worry what you look about what you look like when you're writing, mm-hmm. you know. And all of a sudden to become like a visual presence as an artist, I found that disconcerting. I wasn't super into it. I thought, well, I'm not a visual artist. I'm, I work with words, right? But um, I remember going to buy like a pair of satin pants that I thought were really flattering. But then when I saw video later, it looked like I was, oh my God, it looked like I was a woman from the waist up and a waterfall from the waist down because my knees were shaking so badly that it was just constant shimmer. Well, many of you know who Dessa is, a writer of uh, 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 not just the music, by the way, but many other things, a touring musician, certainly, uh, based not only here in Minneapolis, but also now in New York City in Manhattan. Um, and if you, know, if you don't know her talents, you're going to learn about them, but obviously I know many of you do. And she is uh, with us from New York City today, and we appreciate her time. Uh, the first concert today is brought to you by the Aquarius Home Services. Folks, here in the AquariusHomeServices.com studios, also by the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, StarBank.net, Art Bank here at Todd North, UCARE, and the Minnesota Propane Association. Uh, Dave Lee here, along with Davide Rosso, our producer. And again, you can download this Apple, Spotify, TalkNorth.com, wherever you get your podcasts. First things first, Dessa, thank you very much. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. I am curious. Uh, obviously, the name of the podcast is My First Concert. So let's talk about the first concert that you attended. What was it? Okay, so I admit that I've always been really lousy with remembering the sequence of events. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I got the detail down and I can't remember exactly which order they all happened. So my first concert that I remember impacting me was either the one that my mom took me to. So she would have picked the artist where we saw in St. Paul at the O'Shaughnessy Theater, uh, Joan Baez, and opening for her was Dar Williams. Or it was a concert that I saw with friends at a at a stadium that was um, Gwen Stefani, and uh, the opener there was Poe. But both of them, I remember having you know being really affected, and all female artists, kind of incidentally, on those bills. Yeah, yeah, Joan Baez, powerful. So, uh, how old were you when when you went with your mom? About approximately. I would say, yeah, I would say probably like twelve. Wow, how cool is Something that? Though? You like go that. with your mom to a concert like that? Yeah, you-, you know, and she, my mom has this phenomenal, phenomenal voice. So uh, she was a singer, you know, she was singing throughout my entire childhood. So very much like a kind of a portal and a conduit into music for me. Yeah. Now, uh, after that, as a performer, by the way, when did you mm-hmm. first perform publicly out of curiosity? And do you remember that? You know, I don't. 
<laughs> now, now I just feel like this podcast is like, well, I can't just recall her own life. Um, I remember, <laughs> I remember singing a cappella at my eighth grade graduation. So this was obviously not a ticketed event, but that I remember putting together like a medley of Madonna and boys to men and singing that and being nervous and mm-hmm. and excited to do so and then again like at a talent show probably in high school but i think the first time you know that i would have like performed in a more public way where people weren't likely to be related to me um was probably at about 20 or 21 when i started performing slam poetry so i was competing at places like kieran's irish pub in sure. minneapolis mm-hmm. yeah was it were the first ones nerve wracking at all? Did they bother you at all? Were they making nervous? oh a hundred percent yes? I remember. <laughs> I like if you'll forgive me to like you know parade around an off told anecdote, but I remember being so nervous and you know writing is which is what had been my first interest is such a a cerebral solitary act, and you don't yeah. have to worry what you look about what you look like when you're writing, mm-hmm. you know. And all of a sudden to become like a visual presence as an artist, I found that disconcerting. I wasn't super into it. I thought, well, I'm not a visual artist. I'm, I work with words, right? But um, I remember going to buy like a pair of satin pants that I thought were really flattering. But then when I saw video <laughs> later, it looked like I was, oh my God, it looked like I was a woman from the waist up and a waterfall from the waist down because my knees were shaking so badly that it was just constant shimmer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, how about now when you perform, when you pick out something to wear, what is that process like? I would, so I've probably been doing it now for like 17 years and I just yeah. bought my first pair of satin pants again because I trust <laughs> myself in them now, but, um, you know, they say don't go chasing say, waterfalls, but hey, yeah, I but, but I would, I would say, um, that nerves for me are still a really big part of the deal. I know that's mm. not true for every artist, but I think I had operated under the presumption that if I did it long enough, they would go away. I would get used to it. And that yeah. just hasn't been the case. So for me, it's been uh, learning how to perform nervous as opposed for waiting for the nervousness to dissipate. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a good thing, though, in a way. I mean, you're fired up for every show, you know. I think so. But when I hear other artists, I don't know, actually. I mean, when I hear other artists talk about it, some of them talk about like an anxious, excited energy. Which is different than feeling kind of nervous and fearful and sick, right? And so, for <laughs> yeah. me, for me, I think those first couple songs are always real are, are often pretty uncomfortable, and then it all kind of loosens up and, and feels yeah. good. So. She is Dessa. She's our guest here today. We're going to talk more with her in just a minute on uh, my first concert. In fact, uh, a number of things, whether it be a Doom Tree or whether it be uh, working with. Uh, um, uh, the Hamilton mixtape, some other things too. She's had an awesome career and she's just, you know, just getting started. I mean, when you think about it, he's been doing it 17 years, as you mentioned, Dessa, but there's a lot more to come. So she's going to join us here in just a second. I do want to thank the folks at AquariusHomeServices.com for making this show possible. And uh, the Connecticut water treatment system, we've talked about it for a long time. It's been an absolute game changer at my place because you got to take your home's water quality seriously. I mean, think about everything you use. And water's the first thing that you're going to use probably in the morning before you go to bed. The Connecticut system has transformed daily life for me. And you don't worry about the water issues or impurities. And just being in the broadcast business for many years and reading news stories about water quality, you know that Connecticut always has your back. It's like really having a freshwater spring in your home. And it's it's the real deal. Uh, I couldn't be happier with the peace of mind has brought me. But if you haven't already... 
thought about this, consider contacting Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut for your own free water analysis. Jeff over there at Aquarius and I have been friends since he started the business over two decades ago. So trust me, it's an investment you won't want to miss. Aquarius, they believe in earning the right to be recommended. And they're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. I just sent them out to the house the other day, do a little tune up there. Hey, uh, we're talking with Dessa. This is my first concert, Dave here. Appreciate your time. Um, was there ever a performer, Dessa, we are talking about that first concert, that, that you always wanted to see? Because when you perform and you're writing as you do and so many different things in your life, do you really have time to watch anyone else perform? You know, I would say most of the musical performances that I see these days tend to be side stage as I'm waiting for my own turn to perform or I have just finished performing and I get to hang out and watch an amazing performer. So that is kind of part of the deal, I think, of being a, a touring musician. You know, I know that there were some great artists who just came through Minneapolis and I it pained me to, you know, to receive like the email notice about it from the Ice House, you know, that small venue in Uptown yep. because I wasn't yep. going to be around, you know, I was going to be on the road myself. So it is, uh, it can be tricky, right? Spending the, the, the nights out working to find one where you're inclined to go to the same club to see somebody else. But um, I'm a sucker for really great voices you know it's some, like I mentioned my mom has this killer voice and I have a very serviceable voice but I don't have that kind of like athletic you know um you know where, where you're where you're somersaulting and doing triple lutzes you know around a note and I love hearing people who can do that but I admit I am a sucker for small venues like I don't love stadium shows um and so there are not too many you know powerhouse mm -hmm. vocalists um, that I'm familiar with that work in small clubs, or at least I haven't had my ear to the ground closely enough to be able to see them before they go huge. But um, yeah, I would say some, you know, some of the performers that I've, that I've really enjoyed seeing even just side stages, like having an opportunity to, to open for most deaf and watch the way that Yasin Bey and see the way that he worked a crowd. That was a lot of fun. Um, even just, you know, when Macklemore, uh, got big as a rapper. I had never seen anybody. I'd seen people stage dive. I've staged dove a few times, but I had never seen people simply walk. And the way that it was like lily pads would emerge from the crowd of upturned <laughs> yeah. palms so that he could just simply Christ-like essentially walk across them. And I remember thinking, this is just a different, you know, arena of <laughs> performance. And um, yeah, I, I really like seeing what people can do with simple stage techniques. That's a, that's a treat for me. And I love artists with like big charismatic banter. Mm -hmm. I don't like, you know, I think when people go to see Ani DeFranco, they go for the music and they really love to hear her talk in between too. And I like shows like that or Reggie Watts who manages to like exist between and encompassing a lot of genres. He's a comic. No, he's a musician. No, he's a weirdo performance artist. No, I don't, I'm not sure what's happening. I like that. Yeah. Well, and a small venue would seem conducive to that uh, too, right? Uh, the crowd's a little more intimate. Exactly. And I think it, you know, there's some things you can't do on the budget that a small venue provides, right? You can't have your right. big pyrotechnic show. But I admit, I am less interested usually in, in pyrotechnics um, and like big video walls, although they can be used to awesome effect. I am slightly less interested in those than I am in like the unscripted, hilarious comeback where everybody in the crowd could hear something yelled, let's say, by a member of the audience. And just like that, in a way that you know was unplanned, the performer on stage comebacks, you know, comes back with something hilarious or 
the little twitch of an eyebrow or a little dance move or an unplanned encore. Like those for me are the moments where you really get to see like the personality of the performer shine yes, yeah. in a way that that isn't choreographed. I, I really like those. Yeah, we're just, I was just at the Fitzgerald last week, and mm. you mentioned, uh, which is a great venue and a small, uh, intimate venue, but the Ice House, and we're recording across the street, by the way, over here at Creation Audio. And yeah, that, that would be oh. a very small, cool place as well. But let me go back to something you said about stage diving. So you've stage dove. Let's go to the first time you stage dove, though. What, what was that like? I mean, how did you plan for that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, First, you know, as being a member of Doom Tree, uh, you know, the rap crew from yep. Minneapolis, like the music is up tempo, the music is loud, it's a physical gig. So it seems pretty well suited to, you know, that kind of physicality. But I yep. remember first watching, you know, somebody else in my crew do it and going, whoa, and then kind of <laughs> whispering to somebody else on stage, like, should I go? Should I go? And then going, you need to get a helmet or something and land on your back. Make sure to land on your back. <laughs> so I think I was, I was a little too cowardly then, but, um, but in the intervening years, I've, I've written a poem called How to Stage Dive that provides instructions. And sometimes after reading that poem, I'll do it if I think the crowd will catch me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, that would be the that would be an interesting first time event, I would think. Uh, she is Dessa. Yes. She's with us here on uh, my first concert. Uh, Dave Lee here. And I appreciate her joining us today and appreciate our th- friends over at Minnesota Propane Association for making it possible. You know, one of the cool things now you're reading about the environment, I would say go to their website at propane.com and find out what kind of difference this is making. And it's pretty interesting. I mean, we're talking clean, we're talking affordable, reliable energy. And they're all things that all of us want for our homes and businesses, for the environment. environment. And I think uh, the one source of energy in Minnesota that can offer all those benefits is propane. I don't think it. I know it because when you learn about it, it's clean. In fact, propane produces 43% fewer emissions than the equivalent amount of electricity generated from the U.S. grid. How about that? It's affordable. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, propane costs approximately 30% less than electricity in this country. And the savings can be even higher, by the way, right here in Minnesota. Reliable, well, propane is energy stored on site, so it's independent of the much-talked-about grid. Propane can power your home or your business really anytime you need it. So energy-wise, propane's a direct energy source. Need to know that. Use it your home or business. Now, this is interesting. Unlike electricity, which is produced somewhere away from your home, by the time electricity gets to your home, 66% of the energy used to produce it is lost. That's why propane is approximately three times more efficient than electricity. Propane, the right energy right now. For more information on what propane can do for you and the environment, by the way, learn about it. Uh, go to propane.com. Hey, Dessa, you mentioned um, Doomtree. Uh, not only were you were a, a member of this uh, hip-hop collective, but also you were the CEO. Can I ask you about how that all happened and, and has has that helped you uh, in further your mm. career as far as learning the, the not, I mean, you already know music, but the industry is another uh, different aspect of, of having the talent. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd say, okay, so I'd start the answer by saying huge shout out to Laserbeak, who is our current CEO and manager and has been for a long time now, but yeah, briefly, I was CEO, which probably means less in Doomtree than in any organization that <laughs> you can list because we were pretty dang flat. It was like, you know, to to register, I think, as like a business, you know, as a limited liability corporation with the state, you have to have some structure that you report. Um, but all of us were very much learning on the go. You know, I had some interest in business beforehand and I had worked 
um, I had worked in, in corporate America a little bit as a tech writer, a medical tech writer. And so I at least knew some of the systems, you know what I mean? That we could sort mm-hmm. of import back. And I, and I made some very superfluous PowerPoints about like year over year earnings that really nobody needed. But <laughs> but for us, I think like a lot of musicians, it was DIY because who else is going to do it? You know, so learning about how the music industry works. When I say that, I mean everything from like, hey, we want shirts to sell at our shows. Where do you get shirts manufactured? How much are you supposed to pay a designer? Oh, okay. Well, we got somebody, a couple of people in Doomtree, like Paper Tiger, who could design the shirt. Now we've got to figure out how to get connected with somebody to screen print them. You know, it's just, just kind of getting stuff done, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thinking. And then also like, should we have contracts? Like how much are artists supposed to make and how much is like the, ent- you know, the central entity supposed to make to keep the business on and the lights running and the, and so forth. So I think we learned as we went and I hope, you know, received some guidance from peers and, and hope, and I know now that uh, Laserbeak regularly meets with younger artists to pass that information forward. Yeah. Has it helped you now that, you know, not you're based out of New York in any way, shape mm. or form? I mean, yeah, I would say having done a lot of the jobs that I'm hiring for. And when I say that, I mean, that can sound very fancy, but I don't mean it to be. I mean, even just like, you know, when I was starting to perform my own shows to advertise those, you know, we don't have enough money to like take out an ad in a magazine or put up an image on a billboard. So you make flyers at FedEx Kinko's or whatever, and you pass them out as other shows end, you know, that you think are similar stylistically to your own, that kind of thing. So then later, when I'm looking for somebody to flyer a show, I know exactly what a good job would look like because I've done the job for a while, at least, you know, in passably. And so I know how many flyers to send and I know where the spots are to hit and which cafes would, you know, would let you tape them up and which would it. And so I think in some ways, just having a familiarity with the job that you're asking someone else to do. I think that is helpful generally. Yeah, I do. And I think um, I, I like not all of it, but I like a lot of the business parts too. Yeah. You collaborated with a number of people. Uh, one of those very close friend of mine, Philip Brunel uh, uh, and Vocal Essence. And I want to know about that collaboration. How did, how did that happen? How did that go? Oh, man, that was really exciting for me. So Vocal Essence being a phenomenal choir, Minneapolis choir led by Philip Brunel. Uh, I think he reached out. So I can't take any credit for the idea. But um, to be able to sing with that many voices on stage, like, I think the the most excite, exciting part of music making for me is very often hearing like voices lift in harmony. And so to have this like powerhouse, you know, tsunami vocally behind you was so cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I worked with a longtime friend and collaborator named Andy Thompson to create the like the vocal charts. So it still sounds kind of poppy. You know, there's still syncopation. It sounds like a pop song, but done with, you know, uh, dozens and dozens of human voices. Yeah. And the Minnesota Orchestra, that experience, I mean, I, I, that ha- I mean, that has to be powerful. It has to affect you, uh, I would think, in the long term. But you've had more than one collaboration with them now. I have, yeah. And also, I mean, flattering, you know, invitation to receive, exciting. And also, you know, no joke, like, whoa, I've got to really develop some new muscles to do this. You know, it feels like someone inviting you, I don't know, to participate in a triathlon. And you're like, I had better go to the Nike store and get some shoes <laughs> because it is time to train. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I, I learned a bunch, you know, I had never performed with, um, 
with a conductor, right? Obviously, that's not part of a pop music world. So even just mm-hmm. like figuring out, okay, wait a minute, does her baton kind of punctuate that downward beat on the one when we're all supposed to be, you know, understanding the downbeat to happen? Or is it a little bit before or after? And how are people navigating this? It's really interesting. Like they have such complicated relationships to to meter and learning about, um, you know, I got to travel with them a little bit too. Like I got to sit with some of the string players on a on a bus while we were in South Africa and asking the violinist, the violist, and the bassist to all kind of show me with their hands on my forearm how much pressure they exerted on the strings to fret mm. their instrument and realizing like the phenomenal hand strength and looking at like um the close close up you know macro view holding a flute right up to my eyes like how the engraved mouthpiece so like where the lip the bottom lip of the flautist sits on his or her flute it's it's you know carved in this really kind of intricate old school way with flowers and stuff and i it wasn't they explained it wasn't just to be fancy it was like to provide friction so that when they're working the flute doesn't slip off their lip and hit their chin and i thought oh that's like grip tape on a skateboard like you're just roughing up the surface a little bit to grant yourself purchase like it was yeah, it was a really fascinating experience. So when when you pressured their arm, what was your were you surprised or, or when they pressured your arm rather? Were yeah, you surprised? When they pressured my arm? I, I was and I was surprised at how different um the amount of pressure was. You know, so the the violinists, of course, the instrument is smaller, much gentler, but by the time you got to that big double bass, I mean you're ready to, you know constrict circulation to an entire woman's hand. It was just really powerful. And knowing that they were able to exert that kind of pressure so precisely with each digit, right? Most of us don't have like a fantastic individuated ability to manipulate just our ring fingers, right? The ring finger kind of wants to tag along with what what your middle finger's doing (laughs) or whatever. And so, yeah, looking at the ways that they had trained to be able to do that and also the way that Um, the kind of injuries that each player was likely to develop were so regular that the Mm. physician who serviced the orchestra could guess what you played by what you complained hurt. So, oh yeah. Okay. You've got, yeah, these muscles are sore. I know you're in the string section. Oh, you look like an oboist. Yeah. It was just awesome. Uh, When we come back, I want to want you to uh, think about some of the most memorable concerts that you performed and, uh, Mm. Yeah, I'll give you a second to think about that because it's kind of almost an unfair question. Not your favorite. I don't want to isolate anybody and leave anything out, but among the most memorable. All right. Hey, uh, I just want to mention, too, the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters. By the way, uh, they've got some great shows. You know, we, Des and I were talking about the small venues. They have a, a gorgeous small venue out there dedicated to just uh, local musicians performing. And there's great concerts out there. If you go to their website, ChanhassenDT.com. You'll see who's performing, what's going on. And here in the holiday season, there's some wonderful Christmas shows, by the way. And you can check out January and February and Far Ahead. And then on the main stage, our good friend, the creative director out there, Michael Bendizi, uh, kind of brings you back to the days of, of his youth when he was growing up uh, in the shadows of the streetlights in Philadelphia, doing acapella with his buddies for no other reason than it was fun. And now he's directing Jersey Boys at the Chanhassen. And this guy has a passion for that show because it's really similar. It's a story, of course, of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, so the music is wonderful. But it's really uh, 
this performance is particularly good, and I, and I really think it's because of Michael's roots, and that's kind of the way he grew up singing out there. So uh, find out more. Go to their website, and they've got the great Stevie Ray Comedy Club. They've got Brindisi's Pub. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. ChanhassenDT.com. Really worth your time to find out what some of our local musicians are doing and a chance to see them perform. We've got a lot of talent in this state. There's no doubt about that. ChanhassenDT.com. We're talking with Dessa. We're thrilled that she could take time to join us here today on my first concert. Uh, Dessa, among the concerts you performed, and many of us have seen you, and of course, I think it's memorable for everybody when we see you the first time or the second time or the third time. We pretty much know what's going on. But for you as a as a performer, what what kind of stands out to this point? Yeah, you know, I think there are sort of two general lanes of really memorable concerts. You know, one is when there's the time and the, the budget and the opportunity to really envision something that's ambitious and make it happen. So for me, working with the Minnesota Orchestra for the first time, you know, I, I it was the first time on that stage. It's a big stage. There's a bunch of people on it. It's sold out, <laughs> which of course feels great for both your ego and the bottom line. But, um, but I was also able to like present in between songs a monologue about the fact that I'd had my brain scanned um, at the University of Minnesota in an effort mm-hmm. to try to fall out of love, you know? And so I was able to use my actual brain anatomy on stage. Like my manager and I made a disco ball out of my actual caudate, so a brain structure, and it just you know, and it blasted rays of light from the ceiling. That was like, hey, this is an opportunity to like swing for the fences, you know? And that that felt amazing. But some of the other shows that I think are most memorable are either when something goes super wrong and everybody knows, including you and your bandmates and the audience, that you are like 100% off script. And that can create some headwinds, but it can also create some really special moments because all of a sudden it's like everybody has been drafted and constricted into service to try to save the show. And I remember um, performing once with Doomtree and we were in Louisiana Shreveport, Louisiana. And I don't know if like something had gone wrong with the plumbing of the venue or it was just the fact that we had like, we we could only draw 17 people, which is just like, it looks so bad in a big room that part of your job as a performer is to try to convince the 17 people there not to waste their emotional energy feeling sorry for you because that distracts (laughs) them from the music. Right. So we all just left the venue with the fans and we brought them to the tour van. It wasn't my idea. Um, I think it was POS's steps. And we just opened the doors of the tour van and we played the beats on the van stereo. And then we just rapped without microphones moving around it. And somebody took out a camera and everyone was pretty excited. I mean, the fans could have sat in the van if they wanted. Somebody filmed it. And that was the official music video for that song because it felt so cool. Did it make a bunch of money? No. Was it a polished show? A hundred percent not. Did it sound great? <laughs> Probably not. But it was real and it felt exciting and collaborative. And and I think the other, the, so maybe the third lane for me is the ability to connect with really unexpected people um, who it's really hard imagining my life touching if if not for music. So standing on a chair in Johannesburg, South Africa, with just a microphone and performing for a bunch of kids seated on the asphalt or performing in a bombed out hospital in Warsaw that an artist had just filled with lights. They built the stage with his mom, you know, that 
that day. And I'm sure they had to destroy it that night. Those kinds of moments where, yeah, that you see what music does as far as like social cohesion, right? That that stuff's been big for me. Mm-hmm. And there's people like us, your fans. If you were one of those 17 in Shreveport mm-hmm. at the bus, you will never ever forget that as a fan. I mean, I, I bet you would you you couldn't wait to talk tell your friends about it. I mean, it, it's fascinating. The, you might have had far more effect on those 17 than a house full of people. I mean, that that they'll never ever And it ever affected forget. us too. I, I remember yeah. thinking because it would have been I learned a lot. I learned a lot from like the outlandish amount of talent concentrated in Doom Street because I wouldn't have thought to do that. Do you know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I was I was a green I was a greener performer than many of them. And now I know how to do that. I know, you know, in, in when I'm on tour in Germany, I remember leaving stage with Abby Wolf, my longtime friend and collaborator, and I go, We've got to save the show. You know, there's only 34 people here. So we went stood off the lights and stood in a stairwell where as singers, you're real aware of where the echo is beautiful. And I had heard her singing in the stairwell. I knew I thought it was a beautiful echo. And so we just stood and held hands or kind of gestured with our hands and sang an acapella version of Hallelujah and moving in harmony where we knew it would echo well enough for people to hear. And I learned that from Doomtree. You know what I mean? They weren't singing acapella, you know, Leonard Cohen, but learning how to make moments from very little raw material. Like if you've got people, you can do it. You, even if the lights fail, even if the sound system fails, even if the plumbing at Tipitina's backs up, like there is a way to try to save the show. <laughs> and I like that part of the business. Yeah. Well, the the good quarterbacks in, the, in football know how to call an audible as it is with entertainers. You know, here we go. Can... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, a couple of things. I know we've talked about it before, but I know people are fascinated by it. The Hamilton mixtape. Um, so you can, and I, I've asked you about that before, but can you, can you tell us the story behind that as well? Yeah. So, you know, I met Lin-Manuel Miranda um, almost by chance, um, you know, and that I knew that he, he had made like an online playlist of some sort that included one of my songs, the song Dixon Girl, Dixon's Girl. And this was before Hamilton had really popped off. So it was playing, but it wasn't on Broadway right yet. You know, it was just off Broadway, I think. And a friend of mine alerted me to it, but I wasn't super hep to like the New York world yet. So I didn't know how big a deal that was, you know? So I just reached out like, hey man, thanks. I'd love to see your show. (laughs) Like very (laughs) unaware of what I was talking about. (laughs) And he was kind enough, uh, you know, to to give me tickets to see the show. And he also called me up on a few projects to say, Hey, would you want to contribute to this? One of them was, it's almost like praying, um, you know, a song that benefited the Puerto Rican community after Hurricane Maria. Yeah. And, and another one was this Hamilton mixtape, you know, so calls me up, says he's doing this project where essentially pop artists will be singing numbers from Hamilton. And there's this one track that got cut from the play, but it's, it's uh, it's rad. And when I began to sing it, and I thought, oh my god, you know, I said yes, and then like did a dance in my kitchen, and called up my two friends and longtime collaborators, one of them in Doomtree, Laserbeat, who I mentioned before, and Andy Thompson, who was the same one who had arranged it for the Philip Bruno vocal lessons gig, and we got together and um, did a version of this tune, and then yeah, it was 
you know, surreal, you know, to see names like Alicia Keys and Usher and Dessa. Wait, who's Dessa? Which, of course, is a, as an indie artist is exactly what you'd hope for. Like, wait, who's right. Dessa? Awesome. You know, what a what a way to be able to be introduced to new listeners and just like be in such phenomenal musical company. Yeah. yeah. And you earned it. I mean, what a compliment to you. Thanks. But it isn't like it was, you know, overnight thing. You, you, you've you uh, you've made your way and you, you've earned every bit of that to say the least. So. Wow. Well, thanks. Thanks. Um, you know, maybe maybe you and uh, Lynn can go to a Twins game because his nephew plays for the Twins <laughs> now. So and you sang, right. the yes. you sang the national anthem there, right? I have indeed. Yeah, I sang it the day that Challenger the Eagle misread the cue from his trainer and instead landed <laughs> on the <laughs> on the Seattle Mariners pitcher. Yeah. Oh God. That, yeah. That was that's the video is available. Anyone wants to see that? I, can you imagine standing out there and the eagle lands on you? What do you do? Uh, you know you what? Know? And it's even it's even crazier because I remember you don't realize how huge that thing is, right? It's like a <laughs> right. tiny dinosaur. It's yeah. just enormous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the wingspans on those babies. Yeah, that would be a bit intimidating, but you handle it well. He handled it well, and the, he and was a boss. He, yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, let's if we can go back, and I know this is another thing that that we we've chatted about before, but let's go back because you mentioned mm-hmm. it briefly and uh, about the breakup with your ex, and you talked about how you went to the University of Minnesota to kind of figure out uh, how to how to take care of that. Uh, can you can you summarize that? experience for people who yeah. are kind of intrigued by hearing that? Yeah. So, you know, I have for a long time written a lot of torch songs or breakup songs. So, you know, torch song is when you're still kind of pining after somebody, even though it's not working out. And I'd written those songs for years and years and years, um, all about the same guy. It was just a tough, a tough relationship. And he wishes me well. I wish him well, but man, just a, like a really inordinate amount of distress it was hurt and i wasn't uh i wasn't sure why it wasn't getting better because i feel like all of us go through lousy breakups you know what i mm-hmm. mean that's just part yep. of being an adult part of being a teenager um so i was uncertain why everyone else seemed to be getting over it in like a semi-reasonable amount of time no you're good oh wait good. just there's a big siren okay okay um i wasn't sure why i wasn't able to get over it in what seemed to be a reasonable amount of time you know years were turning into you know a decade and then surpassing that. So I ended up trying to take another tack. You know, I had done all the things that you were supposed to do, move away, immerse yourself at work, immerse yourself in hobbies, travel, and none of it was doing it. So in any case, I decided to look into the science of why and how lingering attachment works. And then I thought, forget it. I'm going to try to design an intervention if I can, you know? And so I, I met with a few scientists who, and read a lot of papers that studied like, why do some people, what's happening in the brain when people are in love? And is there anything that we could do to help jog the brain out of love? And not in like a lobotomy sort of way, but in the way that, you know, if you're looking to get over an injury. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So if you're looking to get over an injury, you know, there might be strength training exercise, or there might be a limbering stretching exercise that's likely to help. And so in any case, I worked with uh, Dr. Cheryl Ullman at the University of Minnesota and another neurofeedback clinician named uh, Penny Jean Gracefire, licensed in neurofeedback. And so 
I got to see my brain in love when I thought about my ex-boyfriend. You can see a particular region activate. And then we tried to focus on that region to see if we could get it essentially to be a little bit less hyperactive. And uh, and yeah, over the course of several months, if nothing else, I got to learn a lot about brain science. And I think understand habit and love in a way that I hadn't before. And then eventually use it in your show. Uh, and then 100%. Are you kidding me? You got, I mean, yeah, if you're, if, you're a, if you're a songwriter, you're not going to let that one go unwritten. So. Yeah. No, yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, fascinating. Uh, can I ask you about the new album, the new music, to, and the the being in yeah. New York? Yeah, absolutely. So I am now halftime in New York, so I'm still regularly in Minnesota too. But the new record is called "Bury the Lead," and I'm feeling -E really proud of it, which isn't always so. Thank you, L E D E, like the journalistic phrase. And yeah, I think it was. It was stepping outside of some of the terrain that I had covered in other records. It's a little bit poppier. Um, I, the lyrics are still writerly, but it's got a more kind of danceable, head nodding feel. And I worked on it with Laserbeak and Andy Thompson, 11 tracks. And I'm really, yeah, I'm feeling really good about it. It's been way more fun to tour than I'd had in a few years. It's awesome. So I've been touring with my, my band on stage plays sax, plays keyboard, plays harp, you know, big three and four part harmonies. It's a really active show and it's been really sweet. So, Well, uh, not just because we're chatting here, but, but I told you off air too. I really, I really like it. I, I, it's, it's, re it's really good. So I wish you the best on that. Uh, website work. If people want to go to your website, where do they go? Yeah. So if people, uh, you know, either want to check out some of the music or some of the tour dates or a little bit, learn a little bit more about the brain stuff. Uh, my website is Dessa wander, which is my name.com two S S D E S S A wander W A N D E R.com. And Oh, you know, if they do the social kind of thing, I'm Dessa yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. And Dessa darling on X, which I still think is Twitter. Yes. Now, before I let you go, because I'm running out of time here, yeah. but I want to I want you to think about this briefly. And this is really tough and maybe unfair. Um, but, you know, I'm not above that. But I but if you were to set up a concert with three acts, yourself not included, they could be alive. They may not be alive, whatever. The music is always alive, obviously. The who would it be? So you're going to set up the concert. Think I'll give you a second to think about that. And I know it's hard to isolate. Because you're, after you get done, you're going to say, oh, I should have mentioned this or this. But I'm really curious to hear if you were the promoter of the concert, who it would be. She is Dessa. She's with us here on My First Concert. You can download us anywhere you want on Apple, Spotify, or uh, TalkNorth.com. We have a ton of podcasts there as well. And a thank to uh, our bank here at Talk North, that's Star Bank, for bringing you the show. Uh, they're local. They're Minnesota Bank. they got 10 around the state. They started in rural Minnesota. They started in the ag industry. And the same family continues to run the bank. I think that's really cool. I, I have said before, it's. I think it's exciting when you call a place and somebody actually answers the phone. And it kind of catches you off guard. Like, huh? Is this live or am I going to press one, two, three, or four? And nope, they're going to answer the phone. You walk into the bank's pretty darn good chance you get to a relationship you get to know these people i know that they want to get to know you and i think the thing same thing's going to happen in reverse so if it's a loan need i don't know credit for the home mortgage a business loan equipment loan for ag operating maybe you want to just get an rv and head out and, and uh, spend some time or, or somewhere that you've always dreamed of anyway they handle it all 
So they're Star Bank. I'd call your local branch today. We have them here in Minneapolis, St. Paul's well now. Stop in at your convenience. Loans are subject to a loan application and approval. Starbank.net, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. They are really cool uh, on how they do business. It's pretty fun stuff. Okay, Dessa, um, if you can uh, narrow it down to uh, the big concerts coming up, you're in charge of it. What are the three acts going to be? Here we go. We're going to start with a monologue set from Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the creator of Fleabag. We're going to move to a set from Tina Turner, and we're going to close out the night with a dance party DJed by Questlove. Wow. Very nice. Are you doing any VIP tickets? Can I get some of those? <laughs> yes, 100%. You're on the list. <laughs> well, I, I wish you the best. You, you have a great career. There's so much more ahead for you as well. And uh, the fact that you take time to share with us here on uh, this podcast is really kind to you, Dessa. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us. And I encourage everybody to go to the website and see you when they can, if, if they can. I know many. I know you have a devoted following, but for those who haven't, It'd be a good way to open up your eyes to uh, some new music and a super talent right here in the in Minnesota. Dessa, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, have a great holiday season too, by hey, the way. Hey, you too, you too. She is Dessa. Uh, Dave here, my first concert. Uh, go ahead to uh, all the spots I mentioned, whether it be Apple, Spotify, or talknorth.com and download it. Love to have you. We've done a lot of shows on Minnesota musicians, and we're so blessed in the state with so much talent. And an example of that here today with Dessa. Our thanks to Aquarius Home Services for uh, providing the AquariusHomeServices.com studio, by UCARE, by the Chan Hassan Dinner Theaters, and by StarBank.net, and of course, the Minnesota Propane Association. For Davide Rosso, Dave Lee here. We'll see you next week on My First Concert. Thanks, guys. 